Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 14th episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporter's Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and I am so happy to be joined on this episode by the great actor Benicio Del Toro. He won the Best Supporting Actor Oscar 15 years ago for one movie about the war on drugs, Traffic, and he's now seriously in the running for that same prize again for another movie about the war on drugs, Denis Villeneuve's Sicario, in which he is, for my money, as great as he's ever been. But before we get to our conversation with Benicio, let's talk about what else has been happening in the world of awards since our last episode with Will Smith. To begin with, I hope everyone had a very happy Thanksgiving, but in Hollywood and in New York, there has been no rest for the weary. Two of the last remaining awards hopefuls are actually beginning screening this long weekend. Joy, starting in Los Angeles and New York simultaneously today, Saturday, and The Hateful Eight, starting on Monday in New York and then on Tuesday in Los Angeles. Meanwhile, Monday will also bring the Gotham Independent Film Awards, and Tuesday will bring the announcement of the recipients of the National Board of Review Awards. Meanwhile, at the box office, there has been a surge of interest in movies. Uh, not many of them awards hopefuls. It's just a big weekend for blockbusters with Mockingjay remaining at the top of the list. But The Good Dinosaur, which is Pixar's second big Oscar hopeful after Inside Out, and Creed, which is a surprise Oscar hopeful, just the latest in a long line of Rocky movies, but one that has gone over tremendously well with critics and audiences, are both doing quite well at the box office as well. But without further ado, let's go to our conversation with Benicio Del Toro, whose movie has gone over well with critics and audiences, one of the rare ones that has done that this year, along with Inside Out, The Martian, Straight Outta Compton, and Mad Max Fury Road. Well, thank you so much for coming and doing this. And uh, every performance, it seems like you kick it up a notch. And I'm really excited to talk about Sicario. But first, I'd like to go back to the beginning and just ask you, you know, were, were movies important to you as a kid? Were there any people or films that were particular uh, favorites or influences for you? Um, you know, movies, uh, I think I came came to movies the same way probably every kid my generation came into movies. It was just going, it was there were no videos or anything like that or Netflix or anything like that so it was uh, you know going to the movies um, I remember you know going to see uh, John Wayne films Clean Eastwood films uh, my dad was going with my dad going with my uh, with my mom I remember seeing Papillon as a young kid I really like I really liked that movie and re- really marked me in some ways mm-hmm. you know like uh, that, that movie uh and uh, 
with with Dustin Hoffman and Steve McQueen and Anthony Zerbia, you yeah. know. But but it's, but that movie really stayed with me, and uh, you know, uh, the other movie I remember seeing, Live and Let Die. Yeah. But but it was like it was nothing special. It was just uh, I mean it was special to go to the movies. It's great. It's the only thing really. I mean you might get you might catch a film, a movie on TV back in the day. There was maybe one channel that right. had a TV uh, a, a movie channel movie and that was week. in the afternoon. Yeah. Right. And then or late at night. And when right. you're a kid, you might have to go to bed before then. So you know you could catch a movie in the afternoon perhaps. But but going to the movies was uh, was. What's epic yeah. at the same time? There, there was something about going into that room and coming out of that room with the with the whole idea of like I can be a cowboy and or I can be you know I can walk down the street and be like you know having ima- your imagination would flow right. outside the movie theater inspired by the movies. Now you were born in Puerto Rico. When did things change geographically for you? Were you how long were you there and? Well, I was in Puerto Rico though. I was thirteen, mm-hmm. fourteen, uh, thirteen. You know, uh, but uh, so going to movies. My experience of going to movies was totally in Puerto Rico, and and I, it's, it's funny. But I lived uh, in an area in Puerto Rico called Santurce, and uh, there were many movie theaters. Really? So there were many choices. I think. Back in the day, there were many movie theaters because that was the only way to escape. Right. Uh, uh, the TV wasn't that big at that time. Computers were not around, or mm-hmm. uh, you know, the internet was not around. Um, so, so there was a, there was a sense of you could have many choices of going to movies, and uh, most of the movies were Hollywood movies. Mm-hmm. Most of the movies were American movies. Um, so I do. So so then the transition happened of, of culturally was mm-hmm. moving to Pennsylvania when I went to high school. And what uh, was that something, you know, you hear about any time a, a kid moves during their childhood, there's sometimes it's tough. You're uprooting them. You're taking them away from their friends, their setting. Was it something you were happy to do or it was uh, jarring? Yeah, there was something in me that was I was happy to do it. Um, I was really, I was uh, really into basketball. Mm-hmm. I was uh, at 10, 11. That was my world. That's all I did, basically, my where I put most of my energy was into basketball. So I was pretty good at that age. <laughs> so, you know, and you always look at the mainland USA yeah. as the place to go and play basketball, right, right. you know, uh, as a kid. So, uh, and also around that time, I was really getting into rock and roll. Were you a musician yourself, or you just like listening? No, I just, I, well, you know, I started listening to salsa music, yeah. and then rock came in, and then so I had my favorite band at that time, and we still is, uh, the Rolling Stones, so, and they were on tour yeah. around that time. So, so I could kill two birds with one stone. I could play basketball, you know, and also maybe get, get a chance to see the Stones, because yeah. uh, they, they went to Puerto Rico for the first time maybe like, Four, three or four years ago. Wow. Uh, so, so you know, it was kind of like, oh wow. And it was back. That tour was supposed to be their, their, um, their farewell yeah, tour. Yeah, so yeah. it was the last time, the last chance to see the Stones. Yeah. I think. You know, <laughs> little did we know. So when along the line did did acting first enter the equation? When you were going to the movies, were you thinking about that, or what what put it into the picture? 
No, I was not thinking about that. It really was a, it really was an act of laziness. <laughs> I was in I, I finished high school, graduated high school, then I moved to San Diego to go to UCSD. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I went to a private school um that was very strict and um it was a boarding school. Like, you know, you, you have a lot of those in the East Coast. This was for, like, high school? Yeah, they're yeah. called the Mercersburg Academy, mm-hmm. a very good school. And I'm uh, very lucky that I went to that school. Um, I think uh, Jimmy Stewart graduated really? from, from, wow. from Mercersburg. Um, but I never did any acting in high school. So when I went to, high, when I went to UCSD... It was very strict. The school, Mercersburg, was very strict, and uh, you know, probably your, your only break all through the day was forty-five minutes. You know, like they kept you busy. Uh, so when I went to to UCSD and I was in California, and I looked around, and there's all these kids walking around with that, you know, shirtless and <laughs> on bicycles going to school. Right. I said, you know what, I ain't gonna like. I'm gonna make my schedule really easy. <laughs> so I looked at the schedule and I saw acting one on one. I, how am I going to fail that? Right. And so that's how it happened. And and so I went to to the first day of class for, and I remember the teacher uh, said something along the lines of saying, like, you know, you guys are eighteen or nineteen years old, and this is the right time to study to start studying acting. And when I heard that that it was the right time and. Uh, you know, at the right age to to take a to learn about this, and I and I heard that it was like something you could learn that, that there's a logic to it, that there's a that there's a science to it. Mm-hmm. It something clicked, like going like, boy, I, I I'm not late, you know. Uh, I could learn this, and and I just did the 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 you know the 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 acting class and. And, and I really enjoyed it. And you yeah. got some, the fact that you got good feedback there meant a lot to you, right? It kind of said it was a legitimate thing? Uh, yeah, the, well, the fact that I had good feedback, I, I did have good feedback. Uh, you know, my, the first one was like I, I could play dead really well. <laughs> um, um, but um, the other one that was, uh, that, that was interesting was the, that there was that acting when I was a kid and I go to the movies, I thought it all happened because these people were just like that. There was they were born like that, and then I realized when I was going to acting class that there is a science to it, and that there is like you have control over it. You can control and gauge it. Your choices, blah blah blah. Yeah. And that was what I think that. The first thing that clicked along first was I'm not late. I can start something that I'll be starting at the same time with my peers, mm-hmm. and also the fact that there was a logic to it, and the fact that I could play dead well too. So that, <laughs> and and also let's add another one. A lot of the a lot of the girls were you know <laughs> there were the the ratio right. was like uh, you know five to one. I think so, more yeah, men yeah. have gotten into acting for that reason yeah, yeah, than yeah. any other. At least in college, that's a good thing right. to do. Yeah. <laughs> Now, how did your family feel about this choice of a profession when it became clear that this was what you were going to do in the long haul? You know, it's just, uh, I don't think I ever really declare war by saying I'm going to be an actor and I don't care what you say. <laughs> you know, I 
they were not happy when I decided to to go to New York and go into a whole acting. I went to New York and I studied at the Circle Circle in the Square mm -hmm. and and I and the the semester that I was doing in New York first first of all I wasn't getting any credit for for UCSD for my college and I also and there were and the the timing of the of being in New York kind of like uh, went into the time of going to UCSD so I was not I was kind of they knew I was kind of saying I'm gonna quit uh, going to school and I'm just gonna pursue the acting thing yeah. but I never said you know I never let's put it this way I never burnt the ships completely <laughs> and because you've been studying business, right? That was the major. That was the major, but yeah. I was really doing the acting yeah. thing. I was really doing the acting thing, but the major. But they didn't know that I was like really like all my energy and my you know what I really like right. was going to that acting class and and uh, and and um, you know the exercises in acting school and you know reading and you know that you start reading plays and so Sam Shepard was like the. He was the, the one. The, the, the one that you yeah. start clicking with yeah. and, and um, as a writer. So, so um, going back to, to, to the family thing, I, I, could, I, couldn't, I couldn't do the... In New York, it was kind of tough. It was tough to make a living and go to acting school for me. So I just decided to go back to school. Plus, UCSD has... I don't know now, but I think it, it still does one hell of a theater program. Yeah, yeah. Per, perhaps one of the best in the West. And so I, I, I just decided to go back to UCSD and finish school. And um, I just really got lucky here. And and it's when I got to LA and I, and I, uh, I, I met some agent here. Well, wasn't there something with your brother? Right? Didn't he? Did you have a, you have a brother that? Mm -hmm. As I recall, my brother was going to UCLA. Okay. So now I'm, I got my tail between my legs because yeah. I just I'm going to go back to college. Right. When I was in New York, my family was not helping me economically, mm -hmm. and it was kind of tough. And that was because they weren't because really approving. Because they weren't really approving yeah. that I was taking time from college to study this acting right. thing, right. a semester off. Right. And they really were like uh, so. When I said, "Okay, I'm going. I'm done. I'm going back to to UCSD," they kind of said, "Okay." So on my way back to San Diego, my brother was going to UCLA, so I stopped in LA. I, I had been given the phone number of this agent named uh, Robin Baum. I mean. Miriam Baum, Miriam sorry. Baum, yeah, sure. <laughs> hey, Robin, it's <laughs> a shout out to you. Um, so, her name was Miriam Baum, and um, and she, she, I feel like I'm a, therap a, a, a therapist. <laughs> she, I went to see her, and she said, you know, well, you're going to use, you're in San Diego, you're living in San Diego, you're not, you know, it's going to be difficult you coming back, traveling two hours for auditions, you know. Right. You don't know when they pop up, you know. Sometimes they call you on, on, on the same day of the audition, and, you know. So but she goes, why don't you finish school and uh, and then come and see me after you graduate from college? And, uh, and I said, okay. And then, But then she said, uh, but, you know, then again, they're holding 
uh, auditions for a scholarship at the Stella Adler Conservatory. Mm-hmm. I had no idea who Stella Adler was. Mm-hmm. And she said, if you want, uh, I can arrange for, for an audition. And at that time, you know, every actor has their monologues, you know, because you're going here doing monologues. What was yours? I had about three. Yeah. And Do you uh, remember them? You remember well, I, I did have one. It was, um, um, it was, uh, it was, one was from a play called Key Exchange. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one was, uh, it had to be a classic, Shakespeare. It was Hotspur. Mm-hmm. Uh, the character Hotspur. And, um... And the other one was the other one was a song. I think I had a couple songs. I got a song from the Doors, and I had a song from the Stones that I turned into into a monologue. Uh-huh. And um, well, whatever you know. So I said, sure, I'll go do it. And um, and I went to do the audition, and uh, and I got the scholarship, and that really. That that, that's right? that's that's really like, I mean, there's little changes, but the big click is is when I got that scholarship at Stella Adler, and then I started really studying acting in a very serious way. You know, if you were in that school, it was very serious and it was very intense. So let me ask because I've certainly interviewed other actors, and so many great actors studied with Stella Adler. Maybe you can explain what her kind of method literally was and also you were working actually with her or was she was she out in LA doing that she would come to LA yeah. t- uh, twice a year yeah she had it figured out <laughs> she would spend spring and fall in New York right summer and winter in LA um, not bad n- not bad <laughs> um the the other question was uh, well, just like what was the me- you know? So I assume you were there studying basically. Yeah, I the did method. study. I study. There was a, I study under the tutelage of um, Arthur Mendoza, mm-hmm. and when she came into town, I did study with yeah. her. Yeah, um, and uh, you know, I got a chance to be. But being in her class was like was like a performance day. When she came into town, uh, there was a line of people who would come to audit the class that would go around the block. Wow. I mean, there was a lot of people because, I mean, this is, you know, this is a woman like, you can say top Marlon Brando. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, so it, when you were in that class, it was kind of like um, really intense and there was like a lot of people that were... There was it was performance in a way. I mean, but but she but you had to listen to what she had to say, and she basically, I think basically her method, if we were gonna say, it's about interpretation. It's about really understanding what the writer is trying to say. I think that that's the thing that I take the most from mm-hmm. her. One of them, you know. Mm-hmm. The other thing is like uh, taking acting, the the profession of acting as serious as that of a surgeon. Mm-hmm. Also, there's mm-hmm. that the mm-hmm. seriousness of uh, that doesn't mean that you have to be you can't have a laugh. Right. Uh, it means that you means that you care um, really about it. But uh, 
but she did have to me the the idea that the actor is makes interpretations and the key thing is to understand what the writer is trying to say number one and then it's also isn't it finding sort of a motivation within your own experience or no well there is a little bit of that but it's not that's more like the method that's more okay. strasburg okay you know okay. she forces you to use your imagination which is and that imagination is not like make it fake is research mm -hmm. and then you can take from this to that and put into your character uh, it's research it's, it's really like uh, at least the way I look at that thing about the interpretation the, the imagination but it's also many times you can use your imagination and make stuff up too, yeah, yeah. you know, as an interpreter, as an actor. But there's also, you have to be in touch with your feelings. You can't just do it if you're not in touch with your feelings. So so there is a, like, I believe, and I did see her talk about that, which mm -hmm. is very method-like. Which yeah. The method is a lot about going to your past and remember these feelings that you have mm -hmm. and then keep them there so you can use them. And, um, you know, but I think Stella has a little bit of that, but also makes the actor be perhaps, you know, kind of like a reading comprehension mm -hmm. thing. It's yeah. You got to understand what the writer is trying to say so that you can bring in those feelings and help the story. Sure. So the actor is a storyteller as well. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So when you finished your time with her, and I guess after that it was right out into the real world, you gotta got to pay the bills, what kind of a career did you envision for yourself at that point? Was screen acting even in the picture, or did you think you're going to be a theater actor? Or, you know, what, how did you imagine it would go at that point? I think that I was more into theater when I... I mean, I think I was more thinking about theater or whatever. Well, an actor, you never know what, what's going to happen as an actor. It's like you can go to the best schools, get the best education as an actor, and then just do small theater. Mm -hmm. And really hard to make a living mm -hmm. that way. Being in L.A., you... I was already thinking at the time of more towards movies. You were, okay. And that's a whole process. My training is completely theater. But moving into movies, then you have to, like, then that's a different training that I've learned by hits and falling down <laughs> and being too big on the screen and being really bad. But <laughs> but I've, my training, let's say, for filmmaking, I don't, I, I don't know. But it's just to me that doesn't exist. It's either acting or acting. And if my training was theater. And then I just, little by little, you start working with the medium of, of, of film and understanding it and understanding that, you know, you just want to be as real as possible and you don't need to project to the, so you know, to the, to the, to the second floor of the movie theater, you <laughs> right, know? Right. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the first big break in a way was you get a Bond movie, License to Kill. I think you're still the youngest kind of Bond villain that, that there's been. Is that right? 
I, I, I think that's what they say, yeah. yeah. I, I was a henchman. The henchman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> was that fun? Or was, I mean, to suddenly be on such a big project? Yeah, that was that was like, um, you know, I've all, I was already going to several, to, I've been going to auditions and all that stuff. And I think that the casting director came in to, uh, and Jane Jenkins and Janet Hutchinson. They came to to Stella, and they saw uh, there was a scene. There was a, like we did scenes and allowed people to come and see the scenes. Sorry, and uh, I think they came in. They saw me, and they brought me in, and uh, and I met uh, with Barbara Broccoli, and then I, I was brought up to to meet Cubby Broccoli. Mm-hmm. So I got a chance to meet Cubby Broccoli and spend some time with him. Mm-hmm. And you know when I got the part, it was like uh, it was it was like it was like I made it. Yeah, you I mean, know because that's big. It, well, it's big, but you know quickly I found out like you know that is not necessarily uh, you know like uh, you think you're going to be working from then on, and um, and, and it, it wasn't like that. But I but I was really happy, and I just you know it was kind of bizarre because I you know basically two maybe three years into this acting thing and I got that job so I had a lot of friends from high school and college that were really kind of were really surprised suddenly they go see a James Bond movie right and it's like no it can't be and he's talking (laughs) you know he's not just an extra in the back Uh, but um but you know it went well it was it was it was a it was a great experience it was like a Maybe like uh, you know, you become kind of part of the family, and yeah. But then there was, a, as you kind of just implied, maybe it, you didn't. It wasn't like after that suddenly you are a you don't have to worry anymore because there were until the Usual Suspects, which is like six years later, it was kind of up and down, right? Totally up and down, uh, totally up and down, and uh, to the point of like uh, you know. You know, there was almost a family intervention, you know, going, really? like, hey, dude, you know, it's like, because it, it, it goes up and down. And let me tell you one thing. I think my career still goes up and down. I don't think it has changed. It's different, okay, but it goes up and down. Yeah. And I think that's 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 my, that's the way my cookie crumbles, but I think many actors, is, it's the same for many actors. Is it going up and down in the sense that, like, it's not about the desire to act. That seems to always be there but it's more you feel like the quality of of uh, opportunity or, or things goes up and down, you're saying? The quality of opportunity, hey, I'm talking to you right now because I'm hot right now at this <laughs> moment. But, hey, maybe I two years ago I was, in my head I was hot. Right. I might have done a movie that I'll I felt like. I'll always talk to you anytime. Uh, yeah, no, okay, thank you. No, Scott, you're a trooper. But, uh, uh, but, uh, but you know, but I'm just saying, like, uh, it goes up and down. Some projects do work. Some other projects don't work some projects you think that is gonna work and it doesn't work some projects are good but don't find an audience yeah. some projects find an audience uh, so well let's actually if we can let's talk about that because again from what I've read it's so funny because usual suspects you had even after making it I believe you had pretty limited expectations for what that was going to be. And then conversely, you know, just a couple of years later, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, as I recall, you thought this was going to be the biggest thing that you'd done in a while, and it, and it wasn't. So why do you think it is that it's so hard to 
to predict these things even when you're right in the middle of it. It's a mystery to me. It really is. It really is. It's 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 a riddle, and uh, you know, and I've and, and listen, I've, there's not been one experience in I've done thirty some movies. There hasn't been one experience that is exactly like the next or the one before. Mm-hmm. There's never been that, and uh, I think that's what makes it still engages me. You know, the fact that I don't know what the next film is going to be for me, how there's so many variables, you know, there's, you know, the the profession of the actor is so different from most professions. You know, first of all, we change office, locations, sets constantly. We change co-workers, you know, the actors are different. Every time we get a job, being an actor, when you as a movie actor, you are changing constantly. You get a different boss. Um, you know the director is different. You get a different uh, different story. It's almost like so. I might play a cop on this movie, and on the next movie, I have to play a junkie. Mm-hmm. So I have to, and then I have to do some research to just. So I, I become. I have to change jobs to work. So that alone is just complicated. And uh, so it's really hard to predict how a movie is going to work or when a movie is going to work. But perhaps, you know, I would say the, 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 whether a movie works or now, then, then you have the other thing, how a movie is going to get an audience. Mm-hmm. That's completely different. Yeah. But how a movie is going to work, I think it falls a lot in the hands of the director. Mm-hmm. I think that the director is the... Uh, you know, and I, you know, it's, it's the one who will figure out the mystery of of that movie. And I think he, you know, to be a director, you have to have many qualities of almost hypnotizing people to give you a hundred percent of their best, yeah. and then taking that and putting it together and making it work into a cohesive thing that is what he had in mind from the beginning. (laughs) And, uh, you know, so, you know, in in the case of Sicario, which I think the movie works, I think Denis Villeneuve takes the credit of of organizing all that, you know. But also, the the crazy thing is that, and the thing that's got to be most frustrating, I would guess, to you and to other actors, is that you can do the best work you've ever done, which may have been the case in, in Che, and... Even still, it, there's so many other things that will impact whether or not anybody ever sees it, right? I mean, it's not—it's out of your hands. It's you. What more could you have done? And still, it's a challenge to get people. When it was in theaters, I think people have now caught up with that one. But that's got to be bewildering. Yeah, you know, I, you know, it's, it started with uh, *Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas*. I think that's pretty, perhaps the first moment that I realized that, and it's happened with uh, with other films I've done, including *Che*, that they've they. Well, Fear and Loathing found an audience later, right. you know, and uh, and and Che's been finding an audience, and and Che that that movie's different than than Fear and Loathing, but uh, but yeah, it 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 is what it is, you know. You sometimes you're working in the dark, you know, or maybe every time you do a movie, you don't know if it's gonna click. It's it's a uh, but you can't think about that or or have that blind you in any ways, you know, or stop you from. 
trying to do the best you can do, you know. What people may not remember or realize is that when you when you did traffic, and this was two years, I guess, after Fair and Loathing, it was almost like a comeback, right? Because you had you had felt at least yourself, I think that, or you you've said kind of uh, kind of the, the the transformation that you had to do for Fair and Loathing. I remember you were saying that people thought you were like a now a fat drunk guy, like that's what you had become. And so that's true. When traffic came along, a what did it mean to you? And and b how quickly did you realize that was going to be a, a really important one for you? I well, I was shooting it. I didn't know anything. I didn't know if it was going to work. To be honest with you, I didn't know. But again, you know, I think it was like a, it was in the hands of a of a really good filmmaker like Steven Soderbergh mm-hmm. um, that 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 came along that that came together and the way it did come together. It was a very good script, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, uh, but I didn't know if it was going to. While shooting it, right, didn't know. I I did, in retrospect, I did get the feeling that my that my collaboration with Steven had been superb and special. Uni- but rare. that's in retrospect, you okay. know. While yeah. it's happening, it's like, okay, you're doing the scene. Okay, we changed it a little bit, and then we're doing it. Yeah, it does work, but uh, is the movie gonna work? I don't know. So it was kind of like when the when he started showing the film. And it started to catch this like uh, momentum, and uh, and that I you realize oh is not only is it work artistically but also will find an audience because fear and loathing in my opinion it works artistically it just took time to find an audience right. you know so so there's two things one that it works right and I, I think in order for a film to find an audience it has to work and by that it has to come together you know. Did the Oscar change things? Did that make it? I know it sounds like it's, as you say, it's still even you feel sometimes up and down. But, like, is that, A, did it mean something to you? And, B, did it make it easier to find better roles or do other things afterwards? Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Number one, it did. It meant the world to me. I think it means the world to any actor that is recognized. And... uh, with any trophy, but the trophy of the the Oscar trophy is uh, it's got a tradition that is just you know when you look at that list of people that have been either nominated or honored with the trophy, it's incredible. I mean, and just to here's this kid from Santurce, Puerto Rico, you know, and uh, just suddenly I I'm, I'm there. I'm, I mean. I, as it was happening, it was just too much to really see it. It's almost like you know being shoved right in front of a painting, right. and face right into a painting, and and someone asking you to describe the painting. <laughs> it, you know that's very difficult. But uh, but I think it, it meant it meant uh, and it the world. Uh, you know um, and you know when you see actors and actresses when they get up on the stage and and they and, and how emotionally yeah, yeah. they react that's that's real because like that's the top real. of the mountain it's, more can you... it's, it's at the top of the mountain in some ways there's many other mountains too but it's just it's just the fact that you're recognized and uh and it's just um it's the most recognizable trophy probably there is in the world yeah you know and and also it's in a profession that is really complicated to figure it out, mm-hmm. and it's a profession that is loaded with with rejection, 
you know, the profession of uh, making movies, mm -hmm. not only for the actors, but for everyone that makes movies, you know, for all the other Oscars that are given. It's just you, you're, you, you have to go through so much, so many rejections make your career that when you get that recognition, just... Even even getting a nomination is just like it's, it's it's amazing. And just three years later, back with Twenty One Grams, another great one. That was that's so it's, it wasn't can't nobody can say it was a fluke. I mean, some people some people <laughs> yeah. you can you yeah. look back and it's like whatever happened to that guy? Well, but. you know, I think you know, I don't I don't know. I think one I think for, you can agree or disagree with who's won, but you can tell there's something about everyone that won or being nominated right. that there is like there a, something special. There's yeah. something special about what they they did um so yeah so but being being nominated or winning you know but being nominated also it helps your career it, it helps perhaps to put your hands a little bit on the destiny wheel yeah of your of your career you know you get to you get to drive the car a little bit you get to you're put in the cockpit you know uh and you can be able to make choices a little bit uh, more um, that heavier mm -hmm. choices. You're you're able to, and you can say, well, this is this is the project that I want to get behind, and you know because of the Oscar and the and the and the nomination of Twenty One Grams and the Oscar of Traffic, you know. Uh, the chain movie in a way came together because I worked with Steve. Steve again, yeah. And uh, we talked about the chain movie, and uh, and also I think that the the recognition does help to bring in capital to make to make yeah. those movies, and um, you know that you know the recognition helps to bring capital, and movies are made with capital. Yeah, you know, need so. It. One of the things that I think kind of connects a thread that started with Traffic and goes through Sicario is that you've done a number of movies that that deal with drugs in one way or another. And in between there, I think it comes up in 21 Grams, Things We Lost in the Fire, uh, Escobar for sure. Di obviously very different sides of this issue, but it's an issue that has been a through line. And I wonder, is that coincidental or is it because that's a subject that is important to you? I think is. I think it's um, it's coincidental. It's important to me in a way, uh, and uh, but also is because drugs, probably since the '60s, it's around us in this in our society, and it's been it's a big subject. One of the riddles of what surround us, of the problems that surround mm -hmm. us, that that is really complicated and hasn't been solved let's put it that way since probably easy rider yeah you know uh in movies that might be the first that that's easy rider to me is the one that triggers this whole genre mm -hmm. of the drug movie mm -hmm. and, and then you know the french connection yeah um scarface um um uh, you know, even in The Godfather, there's an oh, element yeah. of it. You know, that's what brings the war yeah. between uh, the two families um, is drugs. You know, it's just around us. And so I happen to be an actor in this time where there is where movies take from reality, just like perhaps 
you know, actors in the early 30s during the Prohibition, um, the, the gangsters came into power uh, or started make, making money, and, um, and then the gangster genre. There have been movies that, uh, that had tapped into the gangsters, but the gangster genre as we know it started because of the Prohibition, yeah, exactly. just, just 31, 1931, around there, and it just gave us all these movies like Public Enemy, like the original Scarface, like the Roaring Twenties, and, and there were many actors that benefited from that, mm -hmm. you know, playing characters like James Cagney, yeah. you know, um, he was the gangster, Edward G. Robinson, yeah. you know, um, um, Humphrey Bogart, um, you know, so... Um, so uh, even Boris Karloff, you know. Um, uh, so so there were like uh, there were like um, many. It's, it's a genre, and so I, I see these movies because the problem is still around. The problem with the gangsters and the prohibition came to an end, so the gangster genre just kind of dissipated. You know, just silenced itself out for a little bit until the Godfather, and and uh, but the drug uh, problem has been around for thirty, forty years, and not getting better, huh? and it hasn't changed, and 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 it's gotten more violent and more right. violent and more violent, and there's been more, and there's more money and more money and more power and more corruption and more, da, da, da. and um, so let's say. I've done several movies uh, that deal with uh, with this this problem, and uh, someone asked me what's the importance of movies like that. I said, well, they these movies bring the 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 movies in a, in a way they bring the problem to the foreground, yeah. and uh, and it's there is no solution in sight, and it's good to people to. To keep working at trying to find a solution, yeah. and so that's a movie like Sicario or Traffic. Uh, Traffic brings it to the foreground in a, in a way, and then Sicario brings it in a for into the foreground, kind of like a thriller would, because Sicario is a thriller. Um, so these movies come out and they just kind of like remind us that the problem is has it hasn't so it hasn't been solved. Well, there was a just a fun theory I have to read to you quickly to before I ask you the last question or two. But somebody was saying they wondered, and this is I'm sure it's you know it's obviously not true, but it's an interest. It's a fun idea. They're saying that the character from Traffic becomes the character from Sicario. They're saying let's start at the end of Traffic. Benicio del Toro's character from Traffic, policeman Javier Rodriguez has given information to the DEA about the corrupt General Salazar. My theory is that after the events of traffic, Rodriguez remained as a policeman for a short time, but later went dark. My reasoning for Rodriguez going dark is because of two things. One, the Juarez cartel has placed hits on him, and two, he has become completely disgusted with the corruptness of Mexico's government. Rodriguez, while in the dark, then changed his name to Alejandro, the name of the character in Sicario, and became a hitman mercenary. Rodriguez Alejandro then accepted a job to work with the U.S. government along the border, seeing this as a way to seek revenge on the Juarez cartel and the Mexican government. 
I mean, it's isn't it? the, the only thing missing there is that he got married and had a, a right. couple kids or right. a, a little girl, you know? Yeah. But uh, I mean, it's just uh, it's obviously you know. No, no, that's so. that's uh, that's exactly like that. Yeah. That could that definitely can work, you know. There's <laughs> definitely completely, um, you know. Um, but it's but it's it's kind of it's, it's strange how not much has changed, you right. know, and since since fifteen years since yeah. since uh, traffic, yeah. Last two things. I'm wondering when you got Sicario, the, when you first read this, maybe it wasn't even a conscious thing, but I'm thinking, looking at it, this is a guy that, man of very few words, kind of steps in to take matters into his own hands when there's when other people are not stepping up to the plate. Sounds a lot like John Wayne, which is the guy that you got into, one of the guys that got you into this. Well, that's, that's one hell of a compliment. <laughs> first thing is when I read the script, I, I had to believe it. I had to believe because it's fiction, huh? Mm-hmm. And uh, so when I read it, I believed it. I believed that there'd be the, that my character represented that frustration of many policemen and uh, that on both sides of the border who have given their lives, and perhaps the number in Mexico, you know, it's got it's got to be huge. Mm-hmm. There's been many good policemen that in the, during this war on drugs that have given their lives in Mexico and we don't know you know so so I believe this guy would have that rage the fact that his family had been uh, destroyed by the cartels and so that was number one number two is I believe this guy since the violence in Mexico has gotten so out of control, not in all of Mexico, huh? In places in Mexico has gotten out of control. I believe that frustration uh, that comes with not being able to control it, and I believe this guy, and it's happened in history, and would join the Americans to use that America might to fight the evil that is eating their country. So once I believe that, I could believe anything in this script, you know. And uh, the fact that he became silent was because the movie takes place in about three or four days. And to me, it was, I think, that a guy like this would not be explaining anything mm-hmm. because he's already out, you know. So Plus, he's haunted. I mean, he's, he's haunted. He, he's bent on one thing. He's mm-hmm. brought in to go in and do this, this, this hit, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, so... Denis Villeneuve, our director, and I, we we knew we had to keep him kind of like um, in the shade, if I may say. Or, and also, not only verbally, but also in his actions, mm-hmm. you know. So, so it became tricky to be grounded and have a presence without saying much, you know. And, um, you know, but... You know, when you work with actors like Emily Blunt and Josh Brolin, it's kind of like they, they I, I, I always see this movie as a, as a relay of the 400 meters, you know. <laughs> it's like Emily and Josh, they carry that baton and they pass it to me at the, in the last lap and then I take it for the last lap, yeah. you know. But it's really a, a, a work of uh, teamwork, you know. Absolutely. It's really teamwork. And, and so I, 
it, it balances well when you have Emily and Josh's that are more verbal and they're having their discussions and they're I'm just in the shade, you know, like like Larch in the <laughs> in the Adams family. Right. <laughs> you know, like just sitting there and not saying much and then suddenly boom, he just I got my my solo. Right. You know. Right. And uh so, you know, it was uh it, so we were conscious about that and uh and you know, we were working on that to make it work and I think it did work absolutely well my very last thing I just want to ask you is there are scenes in this movie I think the scene on the plane when you are having your nightmare the scene obviously at the culmination of the movie that are right up there with the swimming pool and traffic and we can pull scenes from so many of these that are just class instant classic you know people are going to play those 80 years from now when when you and I are long gone at that you know whatever it is so I guess my question is that you know, from where we started this interview, this guy, this this kid in Puerto Rico who's going to the movies and getting a kick out of other people doing this, can you kind of believe that it's come this far that you're doing this caliber of work that's getting such great feedback from your peers and from others? I mean, it's just it's been quite a journey. Yeah, man. I mean, you, I almost want to run right now. <laughs> uh, absolutely. I. You know what? I, I don't look you're forcing me to look back on when I look back I can't believe it mm-hmm. I can't believe it I don't think anyone can believe it I don't think anyone that knows me can believe it you know I was this kid in in school in class and let's say in fifth grade I was just kind of like this little class clown kid with a lot of energy and perhaps a lot of pain because I lost my mom mm-hmm. you know and uh, you know if you think like I I'm here sitting here and doing this and you know here talking to you talking about like a whole uh career you know I, I don't believe it I do you know I do think that um you know my dad my mom my godmother you know uh, my family mm-hmm. um they they put something right in me to like you know love what you do do it um, enjoy what you do, you know. Don't be, uh, don't give up, you know. You know because uh, the the career of the actor, you have to have that really clear, not giving up, because you can really break quick. Um, because, there, like I said, there's a lot of rejection, a lot of uh, the, your insecurities can be blown up out of proportion, you know. I'm, I'm kind of like I'm amazed, you know. I enjoy what I do, which is great. great. But I'm, I'm, I'm kind of I don't know what to say to Stick that. Stick with it. I think you're on the. It seems like you're on the right oh, track. Thanks. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks, thanks. Yeah, I appreciate you. Coming thanks, in. Guys. thanks a lot. All right. All right.